Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Today is going to be a fun episode. We have Scott Skinner from Flagstaff, Arizona, who is a uh, new, I'm going to say new, Scott uh, Coosdeer Hunter, been doing it five or six years, and uh, Scott has a tag in uh, northern Arizona, and he's got a, a list of questions that uh, I thought would be good for other listeners out there because I get a lot of questions about coos deer hunting uh, that Scott and I could have a conversational style uh, kind of podcast here, and and uh, he could bounce some of the questions he has, and I can give him the best answers that I can, and uh, we're hoping that this will provide value not only to Scott, but uh, to the rest of the of you listeners out there that uh, want to learn or are interested in coos deer hunting. So with that, Scott, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing real nice. It's uh, nice and cold here in Flagstaff, and there's frost on my windshield. It's it's actually uh, starting to finally feel a little bit like fall. I know that I've been up in Colorado for uh, all of October, I'm, I'm down here for about a week uh, in early November, and I'm in shorts, and it's 85 degrees today in, in Phoenix, but uh, from my buddies up north, I'm hearing that there's starting to be a little frost, and it's uh, starting to get that time of year, so I'm sure you're pretty excited having a cooster tag in your pocket. Oh, very much so. You bet. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's just dive into it and um, uh, see, see, see where we can go with this. Okay, good. Why don't you go ahead and just uh, peel into some of the questions you have for your upcoming hunt. All right, so I have a uh, December 15th to the 31st of December uh, uh, coos deer whitetail tag here in northern Arizona. And uh, some of the questions I wanted to know is, and I've been with friends out on the the early October, and I've even had leftover tags in uh, early November and December um, in Arizona, but what is the biggest difference of, and what is the definition of rut behavior versus pre-rut behavior? Well, I think that's a great question, and I think a lot of guys go out on these December hunts and they say, oh, they were rutting, they were rutting. Well, I would define, like, rutting and rutting behavior as two different things. Rutting is when you actually see deer you know, bucks with does, mounting does, breeding does, and actually, you know, passing on their genes and, and actually, you know, getting her done, so to speak. Um, whereas you've got pre-rut behavior, you've got a lot of the, you know, bucks uh, uh, walking, uh, you know, scrapes or making scrapes, walking scrape lines, um, you know, sniffing, lip curling, which are all things that you see during the rut. But what I would say is, you know, kind of that uh, mid-December and especially uh, on a more northern uh, unit in Arizona, you're going to see some of those behaviors uh, probably a little bit ahead of time than, say, some of the southern uh, uh, units in Arizona. Um, one thing that I will tell you is when they really get rutting, you see a ton of chasing. You see a ton of bucks with does, whereas in pre-rut, pre-rut behavior is you'll see small bucks kind of lip curling and nosing around with the does and no 
big mature bucks will be anywhere to be found as far as with the does. But in that period when they're truly rutting, it almost seems like every group of does that you see has a mature buck with that group. When you see that, in my opinion, you are in a good phase of the rut. You are in that lockdown period where, where those mature bucks are with those does and they're not leaving those does. Also, pre-rut, you'll see some chasing and what have you, but during the rut is when, you know, you'll see bucks literally nosing does and following them everywhere the doe goes, the buck goes. If the, if the doe goes over and beds down, the buck will bed down, but then he'll get up in five minutes, go over, get the doe up, check her. Like, those are all signs that, you, you know, you've got you've got does in estrus, you've got breeding is eminent, and, you know, if you watch close enough, you'll be able to see it. Um, I've, I've always heard and I've witnessed myself, you know, guys saying, oh, they're rutting, you know, at the beginning of the December cooster hunt. Well, I doubt that they're actually rutting. What you're seeing is probably small, immature bucks, you know, kind of just like with the elk, sometimes the smaller bulls and stuff, because they don't get a chance to be right in the mix during the actual rut, they're showing signs of, of acting ruddy. Um, but it, it would be my guess that you probably won't see really good rutting activity and, and uh, you know, breeding until after Christmas in Arizona. And, and one thing that can play a huge uh, role in that, Scott, in my opinion, is temperature. Uh, uh, when it's cold, I notice a lot more rutting-type behavior. When it's warm, it seems as though they're a lot more lethargic. I don't believe temperature actually makes the deer go in, you know, the does go into estrus. Um, but I can tell you when it's cold, they seem to chase more. They seem to be more active. They seem to be more on their feet. Does that help? Is that, you bet. Is that some of the reasons why we get so excited about having a so-called Arizona rut hunt in December and, you know, there's limited tags there. Is it more because they're moving around versus knowing they're going to be in their, their home range in those October and November hunts? Um, yeah. Why, I mean, why would I be so yeah. much more excited about a December hunt than an October or November hunt? Well, like I said, I think it's been a little bit mislabeled. I think if it was truly a rut hunt, um, speaking about those northern units um, in Arizona, I would think that if you were going to truly have a quote-unquote rut hunt with a rifle, I think it would start about December 25th, and I think it would go to about January 15th. In my mind, that would be a truly a rut hunt. I think the thing that, that people get so excited about is that over the – you know, many, many years that people do get to see pre-rut and even some rutting activity with those tags. And so it's gotten the nickname of the rut tag. The other reason is I think it's the closest hunt that, that Arizona Game and Fish offers, the closest hunt to the rut. So they call it the rut tag. 
One of the reasons yeah. I would be so excited about it is because it's the longest season. Uh, it's it's a lot longer than the October, the November, and even some of the the, the early December hunts. It's it's a longer period of time. That's that's for me is a great bonus. Uh, oh, and yeah. number two, the the fact that temperatures typically in December are much cooler than they are in October and November. And so what makes that tag better is the fact that because of cooler temperatures, animals tend to move more and tend to be more on their feet uh, uh, in December. And when those temperatures are cooler, as opposed to some of those hunts you've been on in October and November, when it's typically warm, you know, in the 80s, sometimes in the 90s, and those deer become nocturnal, and they like to lay most of the day. Uh, they like to stay in the thickest timber on the densest, you know, slopes with the most shade, just like we would if we had to be out there all the time, we would find shade, whereas if it got cooler, we would probably uh, be more free to move around. Yeah, so... It, I get out in December and I'm seeing some pre-rut activity. You know, besides glassing, and, and you've spent a lot of time talking about glassing over your episodes. Can you, in Arizona, can you use rattling and grunts to to bring a buck in, or is that not going to work as work so much as you watch the the Midwest whitetail shows? Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of. Bill Winkie's Midwest Whitetail. I've, I've known Bill a long time, and, and he does a phenomenal job of educating and informing. And any of you cooster hunters out there that kind of want to learn some quote-unquote Midwest or Eastern tactics for whitetail, I would absolutely go back and watch MidwestWhitetail.com's uh, webisodes over the years. Bill does a phenomenal job on you know, from tree stand placement to, you know, strategies pre-rut, during the rut, uh, how to call, how to rattle, etc. cetera. Um, and I think that those tactics can be absolutely used for coos deer. Now, I will tell you that that has never been a strategy that I've used very much, but I have right. friends that have done very well in some of those thicker units and had to kind of think outside the box, so to speak, and put the binoculars down and get a little more, you know, hands-on, you know, on the ground, tree standing, you know, trail camera, trying to figure these deer out in some of these thicker areas. One of the things about some of these thicker areas uh, that, that is awesome is the fact that you, typically bucks can grow up and get old because they're, they're pretty tough to hunt. Because we're out here in the West, we're used to open spaces. We're used to glassing. We're not exactly used to taking tactics like they use in the Midwest or back, back East where it is thick, and that's just everyday life. So some of my friends that, that are coos deer hunters that have come from the Midwest or, or from back East, they love hunting some of the thicker stuff because they feel right at home. Um, I think you absolutely could use, uh, you know, grunts and rattling. I know, I know, and over the years I've heard people that have had great success with that. My bet is you're probably going to have a little bit better success the closer you get to Christmas time, the closer you get to a little bit, you know, deer starting to really work those scrape lines 
and work their territories and be searching for does. Um, but I absolutely think that, it, you know, if, if you had some bucks patterned uh, in the thick timber, uh, that you could uh, use your tree stands and use Midwest tactics to get up, you know, get up high and uh, get in the stand if you're finding scrapes and rubs and what have you. Uh, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, you could sit trails and such and do some rattling and do some grunting. Uh, I have heard coos deer grunting. Uh, you know, I, I've heard them bleeding, uh, and they definitely communicate with each other. Uh, and, and rattling, I know, on all animals, you know, whether it's an elk, a mule deer, um, who doesn't like to go see a good fight? You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. just something yeah. that works. It, it definitely works. I don't have a lot of experience myself with that, but if I was hunting a unit or if I had a particular buck that I wanted to kill that was in a thick patch, but I had routine pictures of him, I would certainly make that a part of my plan to try. I don't think you're going to do anything that's going to spook them, you know, as long as you're not doing it too much or as long as you're protecting your scent and and not they're not attributing you know those sounds and such to to your smell i think uh i think you have a really good chance uh for it to work now the guys that i've talked to the most about it they say that the grunting and the rattling works kind of the best right in the middle of the rut when they're really chasing does and getting after it okay yeah i uh i, I run quite a few trail cameras and i have in the thick trees and I have some great pictures of deer coming by especially in the snow and the like January 1st through the 15th is usually the the greatest pictures of bucks that I have traveling through so one question I would ask is so you you know you've got pictures January 1st to the 15th obviously you can't you know your your hunt doesn't um, encompass those days but you could hunt with a bow um you know but one thing i would say is um do you have any pictures of those bucks in the in the before the rut time to be able to determine do those bucks do they live right there or do those bucks come from somewhere else and i would say like you have to kind of judge your terrain um and I would say if you have pictures year after year of those bucks, there's a pretty good chance that they're not too far away. So in your strategy, obviously not being able to hunt January 1st, but certainly those you know five, six days before that, More. I don't see any reason why those bucks probably aren't going to be on those same trails. And you know if, if the buck's big enough, I would really consider... Uh, hanging, hanging a, a set of you know set of tree stands and sitting up there with your rifle and doing some rattling and grunting or even just sitting and doing some glassing and you know if if you've got a consistent pattern of a certain buck over a couple years there's a very good chance you know the 22nd of December he could walk right on your stand. Right. Yeah. Well, one of these days he'll walk by. Um, <laughs> what. <laughs> One of the questions that me and my friends have discussed over the years is how much do coos deer need, especially in the November, October, and 
this this last uh, early November hunt, especially as dry as it is, is how much do they need a full-time water source, such as a tank or a spring, or or do they get enough moisture and humidity from what they're eating? This is something that I think can be debated on both sides, but my personal belief is if they have fairly easy access to water, they are going to water almost every day, especially if it's as hot and as dry as it is now. Now, what I can tell you is that what I've observed is in October and November, when it's still really, really warm, even up, you know, some of the northern units around Flagstaff and what have you, it's still warm. We've kind of just started getting where you get a frost and what have you, which puts moisture on the ground. Prior to that, I would say if they have the ability to water, they're, they're, and it's not too far away from them, they're going to probably water every day, if not every other day. As the dates get later and later, I think they can start getting more moisture from the stuff that they eat and the vegetation, so I think they will get a little bit more pulled off water. Now, I think a little bit of that changes as it does, as the, their activity level goes, gets more and more and more because of the rut, I think they need more water. So I think there may be a period of time kind of, you know, late November, and I think it depends on what unit you're in, but kind of that late November into, you know, middle of December type thing where maybe they don't need as much water. And do I think they could go four or five days without water? Absolutely. But I've hmm. noticed that if they have readily available water, most of the time they're gonna they're gonna drink. Now, do they uh, do they stop? Yeah, you bet. Do they are they looking for for water when they're in the rut and the pre rut in their travels, or are they more concentrating on on getting to where they want to be versus finding that water source? Well. I think when they are when they do start moving, they're definitely going to water. Uh, when they do start rutting, though, they they kind of live eleven months out of the year in one little pretty tight range. Does and rucks kind of have a tight range, but as that pre-rut hits, they start moving a lot more. So what I think happens is their their pattern is a lot more sporadic, whereas in you know August September. October, November, they're a lot more core, home range, pretty tight circle, like pretty much using the same water source or same couple of water sources. Then they start going on these walkabouts and, you know, can walk a mile to five to, you know, probably 10 miles even to go find does. Yeah. I, I would say the most likely is that they're walking a mile or two to go and find does. And so what that creates is a situation where, yeah, I think they're hitting water just as much, but I don't think they're as consistent because they're on their feet checking their scrape lines, talking about bucks, and they're on their feet looking for does. I think they drink probably just as much, but they're not going to be as consistent because they're not in their tight pattern. Yeah, okay. So I think on, at the uh, beginning of, just to, just to recap, at the beginning of your hunt in December, if it's hot and dry, I think sitting over water sources that have a lot of deer tracks or that you have 
pictures of could be a great thing. Seeps, springs, dirt tanks, uh, you know, could be a could be a huge thing. You could have a buck you didn't even know about all of a sudden come. If we get snow on the ground, uh, if it gets cold, uh, my bet is they're going to be less, um, less likely hab- habitual, less likely to hit the same water hole over and over and over. And I think it could be more of a challenge. But on that same token, a buck that's going to walk in from a mile away could walk right to the water hole that you know has good deer sign. One thing with water is that does typically really drink and they they get very consistent on water and so if bucks are chasing does the reason a water hole not only from a drinking standpoint talking about bucks but that is a great place for bucks to go look for does and i know down in mexico um we have a lot of dirt tanks and what have you and talking and doing some podcasts with bill kramer and he does a lot of trail cameras like Sometimes they set cameras on dry dry water tanks, and those does and bucks come because it's kind of a congregation area where they know they can get together. Together around the water hole. Yeah, I mean, it's a community place that they know that they could go wait around the water hole and probably um, have a buck show up. Um, now, I think they, they need to kind of watch that because predators will key in on that as well. Yeah. So... Um, Another thing about, uh, you know, the movement and water is uh, another discussion I've had with friends is of the uh, the moon phases and, you know, you, they look at their GPS and it says, hey, there's going to be a major movement or great fishing and hunting time at X time today and we got to be here to to hunt that specific time. How much does moon phases and major movement times have an effect, especially during the rut but or other hunt times? Well, I just did a podcast with Eric Forrest down. Um, he's a young guy out of southern Arizona. He's a coos deer nut, and he talks about um, growing up with his dad and, and you know, looking at the solar, solar unit tables and, and really that playing a role into their coos deer hunting, and it really got me thinking I've never really paid much attention to it, but those guys are very, very good at what they do, and I I think that I need to do some more investigation into that because those tables have been around for a long, long time, and i got to be honest, I've kind of just written them off to, you know, is it a wives' tale, but I actually, uh, I'm really anxious to go down to Mexico this year and and do all of our hunts and I actually am going to pay attention to those and see for myself if I can attribute any of those time periods when that you know they say it's going to be best activity you know Eric says it absolutely uh I uh, just released a podcast with him and and he pays attention to it so it's something that I'm going to start paying attention to and draw some of my own conclusions what I can tell you is that, in my opinion, when the moon is dark, so when the moon is dark, not in those full or bright moon periods, my observation is that you have more uh, movement activity throughout the day. What I see when it's a full moon or a bright moon is you have deer that are moving a lot at night. The first couple hours of the morning, 
uh, I don't see a lot of activity. And the last couple hours of the evening, I don't see a lot of activity. But when it's a full moon, I see deer moving in that middle of the day period. Whereas okay. when it's a dark when it's a dark moon or darker phase, I see deer moving more periodically throughout the day. And what I think that is is when it's dark, really dark at night and no moon, I think there's enough predators around that their best defense mechanism can be to stay put and stay bedded, which makes them move more during the day, whereas when it's a bright moon at at night and they can go out, you know, you've seen at full moons how you, I mean, you could literally just oh, walk yeah. around in the desert or out in the yep. woods and see perfectly fine. Well, they can see way better than we can. So I think they move a lot more during those full moons at night. And then that's why at first light in the morning for the first couple hours, they're like, where are they at? Well, they're bedded down because they've been up all night. But then what they do typically is they get up between, say, 11 and 1 o'clock, and they're up feeding around. And it would be like if you were out all night, you know, tomcat around all night, you'd be tired about the time the sun came up, and you'd, you know, nap up for a couple hours, and then you'd wake up and, you know, you know get up and move around, and then you'd be, you know, tired again. I, I don't think yeah. it's any different with them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's that's kind of what you and Dwayne Adams have talked about is that, that time at 10, 11 o'clock is great glassing time because that's when they're starting to stand back up and move again. How much does the wind push push them down and keep them, keep them out of, you know, if it's a, sometimes here we've been getting, you know, 30, 40 mile an hour winds, how much does that wind affect their movement versus even just standing up and moving around just a little bit? Oh, I think I think the wind makes all the difference in the world. I I think anytime you've got some wind chop at all, uh, those deer are going to lay down. Now, with that being said, I've seen them as you know the wind's just howling and they're up, you know, just standing in the wind like it doesn't matter. But what I can tell you is, I Dar and I watch that wind heavy. If 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 that first light, it's really windy and really choppy, um, you know. We're going to look for deer that are on the lee side of the hill. We're going to put the wind in our face. Um, we're going to be looking directly into the wind because if you're looking directly into the wind and looking at any contour at all, in other words, you're up on a point, the wind's directly in your face, the direction you're looking they're going to have some shelter out of that wind. Just like if you're up on a knob, and the wind is blowing, say, you know, from 12 o'clock straight, like you're going to get on the other side. If you were just trying to be most comfortable, you'd get out of the wind. So, but, but I think your question is, I mean, that's pretty obvious, but I think your question is more like, does wind affect them all the time? I think, yes. I, I, I think deer do not like the wind. I think they can't hear predators that are going to sneak up on them and try and chase them. They are very, very wary. As you know, those Tuesday are very wary animals. And I think they want to be in the calmest, most still environment that they can to protect themselves. So, again, I think as a defense mechanism, if they can stay bedded, have their head up and their eyes looking bedded with some other deer that are looking in different directions, 
that is their safest play, to be laying down and looking, because when they're up and feeding, you know, chewing their cud, eating grass, like, they're, def- they, they're, you can sneak up on a deer when he's, he or she is eating, because they're making noise, their teeth are making noise, they can't hear as well, but when they're bedded and they're fully alert and they're looking around, they're, they're basically trying to listen for any coyote or lion or bobcat or anything that's going to come get them. Um, and, and, you know, when it's windy, you can expect to see less deer. But when it's windy, you can almost isolate and be – I almost – if it's a 20-mile-an-hour wind, I can almost predict where the deer are going to be. So it does – they will move on the lee side of the hill, so it does kind of narrow your search down. So keep that in mind. Wind is not always bad. A lot of times they're not on their feet, but if you really get meticulous, get the wind directly in your face, um, you, you can find those deer bedded down, and they will get up from time to time. Um, they're just not going to be out standing in the wide open and, and really, really visible for us with binoculars. You know, you, you, you've talked about uh, glassing right in the sun, and now you're telling me to glass in the wind. It's, it's making it difficult. Yeah, you know, I get a lot of response to people saying, why, you know, why are you saying glass right into the sun? That's horrible. And I'm like, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> but it, but That's it where basically, yeah, it basically, it, you know, afternoon glassing especially if you put the 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 binoculars straight into the sun you can almost predict all those shade pockets that's where those deer are going to be and yes it's tough to look into the sun but i've glassed with so many people that their afternoon plan is to put the sun at the back because the deer glow and i would say yes that's true but you're seeing 10% 10% of the deer while the other 90% are on the other side of the hill. But yes, with the sun at your back in the evening, you know, that hill just glows orange and those deer just boom, they stick out like a sore thumb. Yes, but you're only seeing 10% of the deer. Switch it around, look directly into the sun, and you're going to see way more deer. Granted, it's tough to see them because of the glare and what have you. Um, but if you have good binoculars and if you can shade your eyes, uh, for sure in the afternoon, be glassing into the sun. Without a doubt, it's like one of my biggest, like, you have to glass into the sun in the afternoon, period. Like, don't argue. Like, that's, <laughs> and I'm not talking to you, Scott, but like, there's know. so many people that, that send me a message, no, you glass with the sun at your back. It's like, well... Okay, I'm telling you, I, I, I've this this one I can stand firm on for sure. Oh, you bet. So you uh, recently did a podcast about a uh, um, a buck at last light. So you glassed into the sun and you spotted up a buck, and and you're gonna you know put it to bed to say, and and then get up in the morning and kind of have you gave it some general ideas of where to look and how to find it. Is that the same? Also for the rut and the pre-rut, this this late December hunt, can you can you put a buck to bed at last light and still kind of have an idea of where to find him in the morning, or is he going to be traveling enough that he's going to be further away than what you talked about in the in the recent podcast? For sure, I, I'm going to tell you that those 
December hunts, the further you get in December, the, the harder it's going to be to spot a buck in the afternoon, watch him till pitch black dark, and know that he's going to be right there the next morning. Whereas on the uh, October and November hunts, and even, say, the, the early December hunts in southern Arizona, you have a really good chance if you watch that buck till pitch black dark. Now, um, I'm real adamant about this. It doesn't mean 30 minutes before because you need to get back to your truck or your camp or you don't want to walk in the dark or whatever. Like, that's not watching a buck till dark. When I say watch a buck till dark, it, it means watch till you absolutely can't even make out the shape of him anymore. And there's a really good chance that buck is going to be within a 15, 20, 30, 40 yard circle the next morning. Very good chance. In December, and yeah, and so in December and into the more quote unquote rut time, that is going to kind of get thrown out the window. What I found okay. is that those bucks are going to move a lot more. They're going to travel a lot more. Now, if I found a big buck that I wanted to kill, would I watch him till pitch black dark in January? Absolutely. Because that is my best chance to see what, what direction is he moving, what is he doing, and will I watch him till pitch black dark? Yes. Now, the next morning, am I expecting to get up there and him be right there like he would be in October or November? No. But from a trying to eliminate as many variables as possible standpoint, yes, I'm going to watch him till absolute dark. I'm going to watch for does around him, as well as I'm going to be, the, the more readier time, the more into the December hunt, I'm going to be looking at the buck, but I'm also going to be kind of looking at his path of progress. I'm going to be trying to spot some does and say, where is he going? What is he doing? Why is he traveling in this direction? Watch his behavior. Is his nose going to the ground? Is he on some other deer's tracks? Because you figure this, he's looking for does. So he's smelling the ground, he's looking with his eyes, and he's listening, right? So if I'm glassing him and over the top in the direction he's kind of wandering, I can see five or 600 yards, a group of six or eight does up on a hill. My bet is that he has smelled those does he doesn't know where they're at yet, but he's trailing them. So the next morning or, or that night, I'm going to not only watch him, but where are those does? Where are they going? Are they stationary? Are they right there? Because then the next morning, I'm actually going to pan where the buck was, but then I'm going to go find those does. And a lot of times, he's standing with that doe group the next morning. Not always, because okay. there could yeah. be other does in between. But I think that's a good tip for people to watch that buck, but try and be aware of everything around the buck because he's searching for does. In his mind, he is only looking for one thing, and <laughs> it's does. And so you bet. I, we try and watch those does, and a lot of times our target buck will be standing with those does the next morning. Well, that's some that's some great stuff. Well, um, 
Any any other questions you have there? You know, I think we've covered a bunch of stuff, and uh, now I think I got to get out in the woods and implement all of it because uh, writing it down doesn't get me anywhere unless I go out and practice it. Well, I think I think the cool thing about it is that every circumstance is different. Um, but one thing I can encourage you to do is be as persistent as you can and be as meticulous with your details as you can. Um, be as thorough as you can with your glassing or whatever tactic you're using. Um, you know, if you've got some bucks in the thick stuff, you know, try some tree standing. One thing I would say is don't let those deer, like, do everything you can scent-wise to get in your tree or your approach to your tree without spooking them. Um, you know, watch some of those MidwestWhitetail.com shows where you can, you know, they go through all the tactics of, of chasing those bucks in that thicker timber. When it comes to glassing, like, be meticulous about, you know, remembering where you see doe groups. If, you, if you've got this, you know, late December hunt, it's all about the does. Where are the doe groups? Keep an eye on this hill. There's always does on this hill. Well, guess what? As, as the December hunt goes on and gets, you know, further and further into the hunt, those certain hills where you always see does, bucks are going to show up there. So don't dismiss where you see those does. So I have a I have a hill that I sit in glass quite a bit. And last year, my boy had the the early tag in this same unit, and and we had a big monster out in front of us. But I noticed that every time going to and from, we would always spook up the does on the on the southern side of the hill, and but the bucks were always on the far north end of the hill. Um, that's that's I mean I mean and it's only half mile difference between the two. But is that a spot to to more focus on of knowing that that's where I've seen all the does is on that southern part of the hill. Yeah, for sure, and it's, it's, it's really common. I hear this a lot, and I've witnessed a lot myself. Does like to be on those southern-facing slopes a lot. Um, they like to, you know, the bucks typically like to be in the thicker country, like to be in the more dense country. They like to lay up in the brush, whereas does are a little more easy to spot out in the open. Does typically will be in more open country than in more thick country. What bucks like is, especially the further the December hunt goes, and, and, you know, certainly after Christmas, I would say start looking sometimes a lot more on those open slopes because that does typically are in much more open country than bucks. And so right. when I'm looking in October and November, I'm looking in the thickest slopes on the mountain. I'm looking in that thick brush and places where you wouldn't even believe bucks are in there and they're in that thick nasty stuff whereas the does are oh there's a you know we spotted 30 does this morning and not a single buck well the does are out in more of the open stuff well that 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 um there's a shift there when those does want to be near the the when the bucks want to be near the does guess what they tend to kind of go out in those more open areas that's why in December and January, you see more bucks just out on an open hillside that they'd never be on any other time. You know, they, they follow those dough. does. Yeah, and those yeah. does are typically out in the open more. Good. So, 
Hey, well, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to answer these questions and and getting all the information out. I appreciate it very much. Well, I hope you have a great hunt, and I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And hopefully, uh, any of those uh, answers um, might help you and help the listeners. And I just wish everybody out there the best of success. And um, thanks for your support. Thank you very much, Jay. All right, buddy. God bless you. Hey, you too. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.